Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, I sat down with my colleague and director of the Energy Program, Sarah Ladislaw, to talk about her work on energy in America. For a little more than two years, the Energy Program has begun to look a little bit differently at how energy is used, produced, and regulated in the United States. Not only did we want to understand the new opportunities and challenges, but also how the economic, political, and social pressures around energy are changing. Welcome back to Energy 360, Sarah. Thanks, Lisa. So for the past two years, the Energy Program has had this project called Energy in America. Can you tell me a little bit about it and how we decided to start that? Yeah, you know, I, as it's gone on, I, I tend to think about energy in America in in a bit of a broader context, right? I mean, the, the CSIS Energy Program has been around for about 40 years and was really born out of the wake of the Arab oil embargo um, at a time which, you know, punctuated the advent of concern over U.S. energy security, right? And so for a long time, as you well know, the, the program's mandate has been to think about affordable and reliable energy supplies and do that within the context of a changing energy landscape, but also a changing geopolitical landscape. And what's been really interesting um, over the last several years is that that mandate, while it still exists because of the new energy posture of the United States, both in terms of our status in, in our development cycle, um, the amount of oil and gas that we're producing, the new kinds of challenges that, um, that we're facing in terms of you know, strategic challenges, the most notable of which is you know, reducing emissions to combat global climate change. Mm-hmm. There really seemed to be sort of a new perspective that we needed to take on, which is what is the fundamental relationship between energy and the U.S. economy, energy in people's lives, energy in politics in the United States? And so um, we launched this project to spend more time you know, not reverting to the shorthand, which is Americans need cheap energy and uh, we care about energy security and uh, and some people care about climate change and sort of others don't. And really take a look at how that changing energy landscape, whether it's more production of oil and gas resources or um, an innovation-led clean energy transition, um, what that was actually doing in people's lives at a much more localized level uh, and, you know, for those folks who have done energy policy in the United States for a long time, they know that the local informs the national. And so uh, in 2016, we, you know, took the step to say, hey, let's let's take a look at this. And and uh, and we've done it in a number of different ways, some of which, you know, doing state level workshops and and taking a deeper dive and then others uh, sort of a more academic look at at sort of you know, foundational changes in those relationships. So you mentioned sort of that more academic level, and that's sort of what came up this time last year was sort of the start of this new line that lo- of work that really kind of looked at how energy impacts the U.S. economy, um, and as you said, sort of at the state and regional level. Can you talk a little bit more about the research um, and maybe some surprising findings that came out of the, that line of work? The way in which we pursued this was to say, you know, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or bipartisan, one of the, the things that we noticed was a commonality is that, you know, people uh, tend to look at the energy sector as being good for the economy. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and that um, successive administrations uh, would say, you know, the future of jobs will be energy, either it's energy in the hydrocarbon sector, energy in the in the green slash clean sector. It was the, the place where after the financial crisis, uh, we leaned on in the recovery uh, funding uh, to, to create sort of green energy opportunities. And so we said, well, why don't we take a look at that, right? Why don't we why don't we take a look at what we know about one the changing nature of the relationship between energy and the U.S. economy, and uh, and two what we know about sure that's great that you think energy is going to be a big provider of jobs, but do you know how to create opportunity of out of this you know energy boom that we're experiencing here in the United States, and and how well do those public policy mechanisms work? So we kind of divided it into two uh, two tranches. The first was looking at, one, as it currently stands today, um, how the U.S. posture has changed uh, relative to energy. And I think most of our listeners know the U.S. is poised to become a net energy exporter, and uh, and that's a big strategic change. And so, you know, what does that actually mean? Uh, and what would it mean if we continued to go down that path and really prioritized energy exports as a strategic opportunity? Um, and then there's this other sort of big strategic imperative, which is to reach deep decarbonization or a net uh, emissions, net zero emissions environment uh, for the purposes of dealing with climate change. And what would some of that mean? Uh, and so we commissioned a host of papers, uh, all of which are available on the website, and two reports that basically said, Let, let's look at some of those relationships and see what we find. Um, so given all of that, um, sort of from that first tranche of work, what was surprising? Were the relationships not kind of what we thought that they were? Was it happening on regional levels and not at a national level for that sort of energy job creation nexus? Yeah, so a couple of things were surprising in this first report, and, and some not surprising but but good to sort of you know figure out on a on a different level or at least document on a different level. And the first tranche of findings was about the oil and natural gas sort of development that we've seen. And I think our politics have begun to not match the reality of what additional oil and gas development in the United States mean. Right. So yes, it's very good for the U.S. economy, um, but some of the the same things that have always been true about our our energy security with regard to oil in particular continued to be true, right? I mean, we are still not insulated from global supply shocks. Um, we still, uh, uh, you know, the U.S. economy is affected by oil price variation just differently now. We're both producing it and consuming it at a different level. And so um, rather than it just being generally a positive thing that oil prices are low, it's now a mixed bag, right? Some localized communities suffer when that is the case. And I think that that, you know, and, and, some, and some consumers benefit. Um, some of the other things, you know, certainly with the president's remarks about not needing to worry about oil supply security in the Strait of Hormuz in the wake of the current Iran uh, escalation or ten escalation of tensions with Iran is certainly not true. The United States is no more insulated from energy uh, volatility than than we have been in the past. Um, a couple other things, you know, I think the 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 idea that um, competition around energy has intensified, um, particularly because of new technologies and and quite frankly the fact that the U.S needs to learn how to compete on the world stage as an exporter in a in a world context that maybe 
much more mercantilistic than the one that uh, than that than, than we're used to. So some elements of how other countries' energy strategies are now really important to the United States in a way that they haven't been before, and certainly demand side strategies like countries like China and India, other major consumers, what they choose to consume, how they choose to conduct their industrial policy as it relates to energy will all have an impact on the United States. And so, again, another one of those things where we we are a very energy advantaged country, but certainly some of those key takeaway points were that we need to really think about how we're going to be competitive against the future, not against the challenges of the past. And then finally, you know, when we were talking about sort of transforming the energy system, particularly in the context of a low carbon future, there's a lot of really important insights about um, sort of the distributive impact of energy policies as they exist today, right? So if we're going to change the energy system uh, and we want it to not only be a lower carbon energy system, but one that is, you know, a bit more equitable for people of different backgrounds, we need to really think about how we embark on that. And so there were some really interesting findings um, about regressiveness or progressiveness of different taxation or regulation policies that, that we uncovered. Um, and that, you know, it, it's going to be really hard for us as energy uh, research uh, researchers to model the way the future is going to unfold. And part of that is because the infrastructure and the sort of systems level understanding of where we're headed, the business drivers, the business case for different you know components of the industry, all that's going to change. And so that last part of, uh, of research was, was one of those areas where I think we highlighted a number of ways in which we really need to think hard as we're making new energy policies uh, as we're as we're trying to think about the transition of the energy system over the longer term to try and um, guard against some of the things that we 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 may not be able to foresee, mm-hmm. and all the while making sure that um, that we don't let some of that uncertainty stand in the way of particularly some of the climate oriented policies because at the end of the day the most sort of you know regressive impacts will be unmitigated climate change and the impacts so anyway we there was a lot of interesting findings from that first tranche of work yeah that's a huge tranche of work to really undertake and two yeah. streams that uh, you did a great job of sort of merging together in that report so i recommend that everyone pick that one up but skipping ahead the second sort of tranche of work under this project then sort sort of focused re- uh, back more on just what's happening inside the U.S. and sort of looking at that economic mobility question. So again, sort of the same question, how did you sort of come up with the issues that you wanted to look at? And then what was surprising? Yeah, this one is actually really challenging for us because we had to ask a question, which I think seems really obvious to lots of people in the context of the Green New Deal discussion, but is actually somewhat hard to get your arms around when you're trying to concretely answer questions. And to be clear, we came up with this project before the sort of Green New Deal was a thing, but the the basic idea was... How, how do, do we know how to take energy as an opportunity of economic development and employ it wisely? Like, what do we know about that? And so we did a bunch of investigations, uh, which will be too hard to summarize here. It is a very sort of detailed report. But we looked at um, the role of job creation and understanding how to think about energy and job creation. I mean, the energy sector is an enormous, quickly growing uh, field uh, of opportunity for job creation. But there's a lot of caveats about how we use job numbers, how we track them, um, the, the the quality of those jobs and thinking about how to create higher quality jobs. There's a lot of nuance in, in, in that discussion. We also thought about um, 
worker retraining programs in the context of job and work and employment, both for members of the energy community. One particular paper looking at you know a, a just transition for coal workers and thinking about that type of thing, but also training energy workers of the future. And so, uh, lots and lots of work about whether we actually know how to do that well and how to not just rely on federal government programs, but how to create uh, locally based uh, uh, programs that that take into consideration um, both the industries that are involved in that sector, as well as some of the government programs uh, uh, at a more sort of state and local and community level. We also looked at um, whether we know very much about how to create innovation clusters at a local and regional level that both deliver on innovation, um, but also help create more durable economic opportunity. Um, we tend to have a very mixed track record in that, in fact. And so um, this report and one of the underlying reports that went into the paper um, sort of talk about ways in which we might be able to prove, improve some of that because it is certainly an important uh, important thing that a lot of different states and local governments uh, tend to take up. Um, and then finally, uh, we looked at uh, two more issues. One was state and local government revenues from oil and gas and how communities that typically experience oil and gas development utilize the revenue derived from those activities in ways that can insulate themselves both from the boom-bust cycle, but then also um, to make sure that lots of communities benefit uh, within the community from that kind of development and to ensure that there's additional social mobility that goes along with that. Um, We didn't have all the answers in that area, but we did sort of outline some good questions. And then finally, this issue of sort of, you know, social and environmental justice. I think for a lot of energy policy people, the idea of incorporating holistic views of social and environmental justice is really daunting. But it was really, we, we tried really hard to sort of outline what some of, what that means, what it what it is meant in practice for different communities who are trying to create more community support for different kinds of projects, but also, you know, what it means on a broader scale and thinking about um, ways in which different communities have been left out of uh, economic development or energy-related um, project development. So we have a lot of, I think we, we came up with more questions than we did answers, but I think our goal was to try and highlight the ways in which we viewed, and this happened both in our state workshops and in this one, the local communities are having to grapple with these issues, um, and economic development officers are having to grapple with these issues. Right. I think that's one of the important things um, to remember when we're talking about this was this project. People weren't talking about the Green New Deal a year ago, at least not sort of in the Washington context, but local communities were. And so people were really sort of already dealing with this at that sort of state and local level. Um, And so you said you didn't have all the answers. Um, So what does that mean? Were there gaps of things that you'd go back and you would add in at this point? Or is there sort of a new agenda for work under this sort of broad energy in America and economic mobility question? Yeah, I think what, one of the good things about the report is that, and and the and the project is that I think we've actually highlighted an area where lots of state and local officials are interested in doing more, right? And and there's a broad recognition that the kind of experimentation with different energy futures, with trying to think about economic and social mobility policies more broadly, and how that intersects with the energy sector. Hopefully, this. These reports have come out at a time where it'll be really helpful for engaging people in that in that conversation. I do think the next phase of this is to really um, pick out some some concrete areas where we you know can 
can look at some policy innovations that might be helpful in moving forward uh, a dialogue about this. I mean, I will say um, the the heterogeneity that one finds in different states' approaches to this question, um, we really came across in the project. Um, one of the one of them was, you know, we we engaged with a lot of state economic development officers, mm-hmm. and I, I I will say they each had a very different way of thinking about economic development in their state and how it related to the energy sector. We had places like Pennsylvania where they've just got so much energy opportunity across the board, and it's and, and huge amounts of investment, and yet sort of the divergent paths that the state could take in its energy future cause it to be a really hard thing to think about, you know, how they incorporate energy policy into economic development policy. Whereas in like places like Colorado, you know, they they too kind of have a, a have a broad, diverse array of energy opportunities. They don't really think about connecting energy policy to their economic development policy opportunity. They just look at they take a skills based approach. They look at the the state and they look at the skills and they figure out how to move forward. And then you know places like Indiana, where issues like you know climate change and and things like that can be somewhat controversial. You know they create innovative little mechanisms like nonprofits that can help drive forward their innovation agenda that has something to do with economic development and again but has nothing to do with the, sort of their energy policy discussions and so I think the the work to be done going forward is to continue to look at different states and the experiences that they've had and look for signs of success you know go back to that um, you know, states are the sort of local laboratory of energy policy in the United States, uh, and look for examples of things that are uh, that are helping to to achieve some of the, the the goals that we see that are now driving energy policy probably into the next several decades, and how they're emerging from the state and local level. So, Sarah, what were some of the practical, uh, concrete recommendations and areas of action that you saw for local and for state policymakers? We were able to come up with a number of concrete recommendations for policymakers on some of the things that we looked at in the um, sources of economic growth and and, um, particularly in the innovation cluster space. You know, as I said earlier, there was a lot more failures than successes from a lot of the case studies on different types of innovation clusters that that were tried. Um, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, a complete waste of effort, obviously. Some of the things that were recommended are things like, you know, really focusing on creating a robust ecosystem of innovation as opposed to doing something that is, you know, meant to drive sort of quick job gains, um, to really focus on something that is a core expertise in the university or the city or the surrounding area where you're creating that cluster, um, to focus on, you know, really bringing the industry um, and the private sector involved, as well as university expertise and 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 also government funding. Really, those things have to be working together in concert to make the innovation clusters work. Thinking about making, you know, sort of carefully calculated bets on on you know certain technologies. Um, making sure you've got the right kinds of leadership, and, and then also, um, you know, you've got a well sort of um, um, resourced uh, physical center of uh, of innovation where a lot of the activity takes place. In addition, you know the idea that maybe you know one state um, that's very close to another state that's you know maybe very close to another sort of economic center could all be working in concert rather than you know sort of detracting from each other's efforts. 
Um, on the oil and gas revenue side, lots of recommendations about working with oil and gas revenue dependent states to better anticipate some of the expenditures that they might need, um, you know, before uh, a, a sort of increase in production uh, or a, a decrease in production, really to sort of think about how to weather those cycles, um, both from a fiscal volatility perspective, but then also thinking about what makes for a durable uh, economy, um, you know, regardless of where you are in those cycles. There both seems to be more research needed on that uh, on that end, uh, and then also, you know, more strategies for thinking about how these local communities can deal with that. Um, and then finally, on the justice element, you know, I, I think it was a very complex area for us to be um, thinking about concrete recommendations for policymakers, thinking about um, how to impart justice in some of these communities. I, you know, we did identify, you know, four places that seemed energy-related sort of categories of action within the compartment of justice. Uh, and one was, you know, policies that lessen environmental impacts for energy production or use for low-income communities, you know, really clearly having a policy focus uh, on that. And then two, um, looking at just transition programs uh, for workers whose livelihoods are threatened, um, you know, really thinking an interesting study from um, the Columbia and, and uh, Adele Morris from Brookings recently came out looking at this on the coal community side of the equation. Um, three is uh, thinking about climate mitigation actions and climate adaptation measures that seek to protect some of these groups that are disproportionately affected by climate change. You know, we typically look at these kind of policy endeavors for their economic efficiency or for their effectiveness in terms of reducing emissions. I do think there's probably additional work that needs to be done to think about how various communities are impacted by these policies. Um, and if, you know, and, and maybe particularly policies for for places that are sort of disproportionately affected uh, in particular needs to be a higher level of focus. And then finally, policies that seek to harness investment in energy goods and services to benefit underserved groups. Um, again, sort of, you know, recalibrating some of the attention that we've given in this policy dialogue to some of those areas. So, so those were a few of the sort of concrete thoughts we had coming out of that second report. So it sounds like there's a big agenda of work still to be done. It's always more work to be done, but that's the good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great project. So thank you for sitting down to chat. Thanks very much, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. There are links to the reports and to the paper on our website. Let us know your thoughts about how energy in America is changing. And find more episodes of Energy 360 at CSIS.org or on iTunes. And of course, follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy. 